Hello and welcome to the Leaders Leader Podcast, a Chime Foundation series where we bring you the best of the best in digital health leadership. I'm Russ Branzell, your host for this podcast and the president and CEO of Chime, the College of Healthcare Information Management Executives. We continue to live and evolve through challenging times for healthcare professionals, their industry partners, and all the people we serve. Leaders across the industry have proven their talent and determination as they innovate and transform their organizations to meet the moment and shape the future. We're proud to know those leaders and support them here at Chime. Today, we welcome an experienced clinical professor, neuroradiologist, global executive, and entrepreneur with a track record of raising the bar for healthcare innovation. In his current position as the Chief Innovation and Strategy Officer and Chief Business Lead for Enterprise Informatics at Philips, he is responsible for creating enterprise-wide strategies to deliver people and patient-centric innovation at scale. He joined Philips from Amazon Web Services, where he served as worldwide head of business development for healthcare, life sciences, and medical devices. I am so pleased to have joining us in our podcast booth for today, Dr. Shez Hartovi. Welcome to the program, doctor. Thanks so much. Hello, Russ. Thanks for having me. It's I love working with Chime. Thank you for having me here today. Well, I, I know a lot of history. I, I have a lot of personal history with Philips uh, way back in the day when we were building new hospitals in Colorado. One of our great partners. We did just some amazing things with Philips, uh, but it is definitely a different time than back then, uh, which was now, wow, probably 15, 20 years ago when all that was starting to make me feel old. But you've probably seen it. Uh, matter of fact, our Chime members are feeling it every single day now. We're in this period of digital transformation and revolution where actually our members are saying it's by far the top growth driver for them working forward. And there's lots of buzzwords that are out, cloud, remote monitoring, home health, all kinds of different ways people are thinking about engaging the consumer in a different way. Uh, and I know you know this because I was actually talking to some of your leaders recently and that healthcare data storage is just going through the roof, uh, not just in price, then meaning that actually price is coming down in storage, but just the overall quantity that's being stored. Matter of fact, they're talking about it being a $10 billion business by the end of 2027. So this has got to be some exciting and dynamic times for Philips, for you and your in your title, where you're really driving innovation and change. First, how are you? How's your organization doing? Um, and how really is the team adapting to a whole new healthcare world? Oh, thanks, Ross. The Phillips you you talked about sort of the the history that you have of your memories of Phillips. Most of Phillips today isn't probably what Phillips most of the folks that might be listening actually remember. You know, over the past uh, decade, Phillips really divested of everything and became a health tech company. So. Um, things like lighting and domestic appliances are all divested and we focused on healthcare. And then something really exciting happened this year, which is in January, um, the CEO Roy Jacobs announced that we are going to actually bring all the software teams and the software products that are inside Philips that were sort of spread out in the hardware businesses. We brought them all together into one global software business. In fact, it's the largest um, informatics business in a medtech company in the world at 1.2 billion euro revenue. So that verticalization was done and I have the privilege of, of, of leading that team. And that's in this year where we brought all the software business together. So effectively, what we now have is a software business inside of Philips that's end-to-end -end vertical and across the world. And it's just about 6,000 team members in it. 
um, some like 20 uh, solutions across the world from um, US uh, to, to Europe, to China, to Latin America. And so that's been incredibly exciting. It's like a, it's like a startup was born inside Philips. And, and of course, our goal is to go from startup to scale up. But that's some of the most exciting things that's been going on, at least in the software realm side. I mean, there's a lot more exciting things going on in Philips. But that is uh, one that I've been involved in a big way. And it's really exciting. And, and people here are energized by the fact that we can now really build a software business that operates at the clock speed of software. You know, the clock speed is faster to innovate in software. So that's really what's been going on. It's very exciting. Wow, that's that's interesting. Like I said, I've got to spend quite a bit of time with some of your leaders lately, and and they do seem energized and excited about the changes. And it kind of reminds me of the days of of IBM shifting to a whole new model, and you all are doing the same thing now. And it, it's not that you give up what you used to do really well; it's now you add to that, and it's just going to be a different world. It's it's going to be fun to watch you. But as I mentioned, the industry itself is just kind of at a, a rapid pace of change right now as it tries to really kind of find its identity as it moves forward, as you know, cloud providers are so involved in things moving on, this concept of data and data-driven organizations really trying to drive things. It's kind of that money ball time and period of time for healthcare as we move forward. And, and hopefully our, our provider members, our folks that are really delivering the care on the front end, are starting to understand this and at least getting their heads around what it means to shift to really a data-driven organization. I'd love to hear what you're seeing, especially with the with such an informatics focus now for the organization. What are you seeing from the customer environment as they start trying to figure out how to manage populations, how to meet really consumer slash clinical expectations as they shift to kind of a new outcome orientation? Yeah, you know, when we talk to our customers and we listen to them, the providers tell us that they are basically overloaded, overworked, and overwhelmed. And it's just they're being asked to do more and more. And the data that's, um, there's a data tsunami. Really, so much data is expanding with all the digitalization. And so this problem of having an incredible amount of data, but they're all sitting in disparate systems, is adding to the cognitive load, the cognitive burden, and the challenges that providers face. And what they ask us every single day is, can you help liquidate this data? Can you help break down the silos? We're at a time where there's a wealth of data, but a poverty of insights, because they don't just want the data. They want the data to actually come, become into meaning to what it is that how it helps them to do the work. And so, for example, one of the things that we do at Philip in the enterprise informatics business is a product that we have that is called Capsule, and Philip's Capsule. And what it does is it connects to like over 1,100 different types of devices in a hospital. So if you walk in a hospital, just about anything you see with an LED display, like an IV pole or, or a ventilator that has some sort of digital readout, they all have their own proprietary ways of storing data. And we can connect to those 1,100 different kinds of systems and bring all the data together into an environment that then it can be either create workflow automation so that it could just flow into the EMR really easily. So the nurses don't have to transcribe all the data from the displays into the EMR or even more exciting. You know, you talked about that cloud technology is that in the cloud, you can take advantage of some sophisticated compute power to take that data and to build machine learning models, build predictive AI models, build generative AI models that actually allows converting the data into some sort of meaning like predicting the patient's going to potentially have an untoward outcome in the next 24 hours or, or predicting if a patient might be uh, readmitted if they're discharged. 
And this is really what the providers are looking for. A, they are overwhelmed with the data silos. They want those broken down. And B, they don't want us to just shove that data in front of their faces so they have to figure it out. They want us to be able to convert that into meaning so that they can take that insight and actually deliver care in an easier, more efficient way. That's the kind of signals we're getting. And that's really what we're working on at Phillips. Yeah, you know, it's interesting as you describe this now is it, it used to be a thrive strategy to be this kind of data orientation. Now it really feels like this is a survival strategy as we move forward. This is the this is the way business is going to operate as we move forward. And I will say there's a bit of buzzword management out there in the world right now because it doesn't all mean the same to everybody when you hear words like AI, and now I think the natural reaction is the second you hear AI, you think chat GPT, uh, <laughs> which is an emerging thing for everybody. They're trying to deal with it. Some organizations are blocking it. Some organizations are deploying it. Some are going private, some are going public. So, but let's take it to a different level. And that is this concept of generative AI that really is, I think, a foremost conversation occurring, especially in academic and research organizations as they really start trying to think differently than they've ever thought before. I'd love to hear your thoughts on kind of what this generative AI really means for healthcare in particular, and are there any real applications you're starting to see early in stages of organizations or you as a company are starting to see applicable in healthcare? Yeah, you know, the that of course the buzz we're probably in this hype cycle mode of generative AI. So first, just for the benefit of the audience, you know, it's important because you pointed out that generative AI re relatively recent in terms of its sort of commonplace uh, vernacular and usage. But of course, the research on it's been going on for a while. But before we talk about generative AI, before that, there was just predictive AI. This is the idea that the purpose of predictive AI is to make a prediction based on past data. A great example is basically the weather. Every single day, there's a system out there that predicts the weather. And that sort of predictive AI looks at years and years of weather patterns. And you wake up in the morning, and you either get a sunshine icon or an umbrella icon. And that's the insight from years of weather data that predicts how your day is going to be. And so predictive algorithms and predictive models and predictive AI has been around for a long time. And Philips has a long heritage of excellence in building predictive models to predict ICU readmissions to predict, uh, 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 for example, heart rate anomalies in the next twenty in the next two weeks based on twenty four hours um, of monitoring. But generative AI, of course, is different, and you pointed that out. And so I I want to draw the distinction because the main goal of the underlying of generative is you're you're looking at underlying data distribution to generate new. Um, uh, generate new content, generate uh, stuff that wasn't there before. A great example of that, of course, you you mentioned ChatGP in, in a sort of more commercial uh, consumer world, but you can imagine in a radiology world, for example, where a radiology report could be summarized or five radiology reports could be summarized to show a trend or a, or a, a number of nursing notes in an electronic medical record could be summarized to show a trend. And that is different than sort of the predictive model. So you hear a lot of buzz, but, and you ask the, the right question, which is, do you actually see anything out there right now? There's a lot of talk and I know there's there are, uh, there are discussions. We ourselves are doing all sorts of explorations as well in terms of what might be. And, and I think one of the things that um, is worth thinking for the audience is that there's gonna be benefit to physicians, clinicians, nurses, and there's gonna be benefit to patients. And we should always keep those two lenses in mind because um, for the clinician, I give a great example. Look, when I used to practice, when we got outside reports, 
I would have to go through pages and pages of PDFs of outside reports attached to the EMR to find the crucible of what was significant about that patient before I could actually go see the patient or, or do whatever I needed to do. So this is work I did. It took time. It was the cognitive load. And it's, it's work that we had to, because we had all these outside reports. You can imagine a scenario where these outside reports that have come in when a patient gets admitted to the emergency department, a general AI model could summarize that and provide that. Or as I mentioned, multiple outside radiology reports could be summarized and simplified. So that's sort of point one. For the patient, imagine patients having a conversation with their chart. It was just right now, when you have a conversation with ChatGP, a situation would be where you can bridge the medical literacy gap, where in your own native language, you would be able to have a conversation with your electronic medical record. So if you don't speak English and the physicians record English, you could speak and you could talk to the agent in Dutch, the, to the uh, software agent, the general agent, and it would summarize the uh, language. I'm, I'm saying Dutch because I'm in Amsterdam right now. So the generative AI is a tectonic opportunity in healthcare for both clinicians in terms of giving them time, giving them efficiency, and simplifying some of the tasks that are repetitive, and for patients because it can create, a, and there are many things, but at the very least, it can close the literacy gap for patients. So these are exciting times. Um, and we are certainly looking at a lot of these. Uh, there's a renaissance happening with generative AI coming back on. And uh, we're looking at every aspect of the things that we do at Philips to see how can we give clinicians time back by using generative AI to simplify their life? How can we give patients where we interact with them uh, a deeper understanding of their own um, wellness and health using generative technology, generative AI technology? So I think, I think we are just starting to see, of course, the horizon. There's been a lot of hype, but it will be exciting to see it come forward. Well, I know one of the, uh, that was great, by the way. Thank you for, for sharing that. And I, I just recently got back from a trip to from Cleveland, Ohio, where I got to see the first quantum computer. And I just sat there in kind of an awe. And I, I just get, kept expecting, you know, the Terminators to come around the corner <laughs> and destroy humanity when I'm looking at something, at least in my brain, I would never see in my lifetime, something at that advanced that basically has the ability to do stuff that yeah. We never dreamed from a singularity perspective someday being able to compete with the human brain. I think that does give amazing opportunities for companies like yours to really solve some of our biggest problems. One of those really is what you just said, workplace burnout. The other part is solving some really tough clinical things that we need to solve in this world, like solving, curing cancer and some of these levels of, of things that we need to fix. Let's shift a little bit here. And, and, and again, I, I, don't, I don't like buzzwords that much, but I think this is an important one that we're starting to hear a lot in the industry. And it's this concept of RevOps uh, or revenue operations, where it really is about understanding that one of the things we have to do, especially in a, in a commercial market where healthcare is still paid for the way it is in the U.S. market and several other places in the world, where we really need to create sustainable revenue and revenue growth, which is just important uh, as we move forward. I'd love to hear your thoughts on this convergence of the data we just talked about now with the opportunity to create insights, intelligence to really drive business change as well. You know, the uh, you, you mentioned revenue ops. So my it's actually a great starting point for this because the financial industry, if you think of credit card industry, um, I know it's not healthcare. Well, at least it's a proxy close by, but they've really sorted out how to take um, financial transaction data to figure out many things that are valuable. 
such as, you know, are you likely to pay your home mortgage or not, and so on and so forth. And so that the financial industry, including revenue uh, in revenue operations industry in healthcare, has actually really uh, taken advantage of the fact that they a data is digitized and it's simple. It's financial data, relatively simple compared to like medical codes, and have extracted meaning from it. Now, for providers and for health systems, there are incredible opportunities when you take that thinking to clinical data and or just operational data. And we talked about this very briefly just a moment ago, where one of the things that Philips does in one of our products called uh, Philips Cardiologs, where it just by monitoring the heart for 24 hours, you can take that rhythm, because when I say clinical data, it doesn't have to be textual data in an electronic medical record. It could be um, heart monitoring data, it could be uh, uh, imaging data. So in that particular example, it can take 24 hours of a little lead that sits on your chest at home, 24 hours, and then <clears throat> determine in the next two weeks if you're likely to have atrial fibrillation or determine the next two weeks if you'd like to have even a more dangerous arrhythmia called a ventricular tachycardia. So 24 hours of a lead on your chest results in a prediction of a potential untoward outcome in the next two weeks. This is the nexus of where care quality and AI meet because the best way to get out of trouble is to stay out of trouble, right? The, the best to improve quality, you wanna predict a likely poor outcome and then avoid it as opposed to watch the outcome happen and then treat it. And so this is where really the value of AI and the opportunity for improving quality and reduced cost and improved experience. In this example, I just gave you all three factors in effect, right? Improved experience, the patient's at home, improved quality, predicting something and improved cost. Well, gee, if you can predict it and avoid it, it costs everybody less. And so there is real opportunity. It's tangible and real for taking clinical data and doing what the financial teams and industries have done for a long time is to look at that data and mass. It doesn't, have, it doesn't matter if it's waveform or textual or image or pathology or genomic and extracting meaning so that you can predict things, you can intervene earlier and you can improve quality of care at a reduced cost with better human experience. Uh, so I, I am a firm believer that a, a artificial intelligence, whether predictive or generative, is really one of the key unlocks of the quadruple aim we talk about all the time. I don't see it as just a cool thing. We really are working at Phillips to insert it into those moments that need the insight that then can effectuate positive outcome for patient care. As long as we stick to that focus of outcome-driven insertion of artificial intelligence, I think we'll, we'll at least uh, sway a little bit away from the hype cycle, but uh, maybe not entirely. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I actually, this is, this is unbelievably empowering. I've actually not heard that. I got to take a look at that. Do you think this actually, as we operationalize all this uh, gigantic amounts of data, do you think it's going to mean really an empowerment to the provider, but then the other part of empowerment is to the consumer. Because mm -hmm. I would imagine there'll be a time that you don't need to be on a 24-hour lead. You basically are just wearing your watch or you're wearing a strip or you're now you've got all the diabetic management where it's just a, a thing stuck to your arm and you're constantly being monitored. Do you think we get to a point of that where this is an empowerment to the provider while being an empowerment to the consumer at this exact same time? Is there a, that's the right question, really is the right question. Because so if you think of data sources as a way of predicting wellness health and, and, uh, and, and health, 
we obviously have the electronic medical record, you have, uh, as I mentioned, the cardiac rhythm, um, you have imaging, you have pathology, you have genomics, all the things I mentioned. And what you're referring is what I affectionately call to as our digital exhaust. In other words, we, with all our devices, we're constantly giving off digital exhaust, whether it's the motion detector in your phone, whether it's your likes in your Facebook, or whether it's your watch. And these digital exhausts, in the fullness of time, you can imagine a scenario where these digital exhausts are used to help you self-manage your wellness and to guide your care if you should need require care delivery. So today, yes, we are looking at clinical data in the realm, of, and I mean we, the proverbial, the industry we, is looking at clinical data, certainly Philips is, and, and as you look at what you can do beyond that to go to uh, consumer data, um, there are incredible opportunities. In fact, look, Philips is unique. We have a personal health uh, division, and you're probably familiar with the uh, Sonicare toothbrush, which has a whole lot of AI in it, uh, which we don't, but, but we actually have a lot of experience in how to nudge consumers to take care of themselves in oral healthcare using AI and this so-called digital exhaust that comes from the Sonicare toothbrush. So I, you had me at hello. I'm a total believer. In fact, Phillips is a believer. And those are, I think, um, the direction where we're going the fullest of time. Well, obviously, you and your organization are great leaders in our industry, but there's a lot of this is new. Uh, you're ahead of probably the average provider organization, our digital health leaders trying to get their head around all of this. What insights, kind of strategy and direction, especially for those organizations that maybe aren't the big giant academics that are really leading this, what would you give them is, is insights to understand and act on this data that's out there and this data reality that we really need to start grabs, uh, grasping ourselves with? Yeah, I think um, there, are, there are a couple of things. So first, you know, I'm, I used to be a chief digital officer. And so I've led large transformation programs this a number of years ago. And actually, I've come to believe that large transformation programs are very risky. And the way in which at least I see it, and since I've been at Philips, and there's really a way in which you can do things where you work backwards from the end result and work in an agile way. So my advice to organizations that want to actually embark on converting data to insights is to really start from the end in mind and actually do an agile iterative way of experimentation. And if it works, double down. If it doesn't, shut it down. You know, we actually did this. The industry did this during COVID. If you actually go back and look, there was all kinds of, quote, experimentation going on where the entire health industry began to learn that it has to be agile and try things because they didn't have the answer. And there was not a large COVID transformation program. It was like people were trying stuff and some worked and when they worked, they did it more. And that, I hope we don't lose that muscle. I hope healthcare doesn't lose that muscle of experimenting, agile, iterative, small things. If it works, keep going. If it doesn't, try something different. So to my mind, that would be one of the greatest advice I can give for someone who's, who's run a large transformation program and seen the headwinds that, and the difficulty of a waterfall approach to a, move the whole organization in one fell swoop, which is not what I'm recommending, but rather a more agile, experimental way um, of going piecemeal and, and then focusing on the outcomes, focusing on the impact. Are you trying to improve quality? You're trying to reduce cost? Are you trying to improve experience? And, and then working back from that. I've just more and more become a firm believer that's the way to go. And I've seen health systems that implement that not get put out on large budgets and being able to have teams that are small, try things and then keep going. I just, that's the way I think we should be doing it. That's probably my first advice to anybody that's thinking of doing this. So, so as you've seen that, and you just gave some examples, when you, when you 
see these organizations, we'll call them mature digital or data innovators in the industry, are there some key attributes of whether that be outcome or leadership attributes that you've seen in these organizations that that really should be a best practice for, for our listeners in our industry to follow? Yeah, you know, there you and you put your finger on one of the key elements that you absolutely need a champion. You know, the uh, most I talk about change being people, process, and platform in that order. Um, the the change of people um, and then process and platform, it, it, and it's incredibly important to have the right championship that actually brings the people along and explains the why, the purpose, and then. The, the willingness to change process because you can digitize and and, and add insights to a broken uh, workflow and that just only worsens things. And then for the platform piece, the successful organization I've seen, pick a partner. They, and we do this all the time. So we have this process at Philips called co-creation where we work with our work with our customers and we co-create and help them uh, really be the for the platform piece. They certainly bring their champions for the people in process piece and we meet them halfway with the process because we're trying to optimize their workflows. But if you think of it in a partnership, the, the organization comes with a champion and comes down from the people and process side. You bring a partner like Philips and you come from the platform and process side, you meet in the middle. And, and that, that together is areas where I've seen some of the most effective continuous momentum and one that actually builds is where you have leadership, where you're willing to change process and you pick a partner and you go deep together and co-create what it is you're trying to get out. I've just found those to be the most effective way because on the platform side, it's hard for health systems to dive deep into the AI stuff we're talking about. It's some sophisticated stuff that's needed. On the other hand, no company, even Philips is gonna come and say, oh, here's how you change your people. That's, that's gotta come from the inside. That's, that's gotta be close to the flame of the organization to their purpose. So that's, those are the things I've seen that have worked best. Well, our time is just about up, but I love asking one last question. And that is, I, I try to ask a similar question at the end of all of these. Uh, to get a little insights from a great leader like yourself. If you were a ruler for the day, now you could choose to be, you know, WHO, you could be in charge of HHS or wherever you wanted to be. And you had the opportunity to make one significant change that would really impact healthcare delivery, whether that's workload, whether that's clinical outcomes. What's that one thing you just think we really need to get our head around that would help make a huge impact, especially the, is the quadruple aim as you talked about it earlier. I would advanced precision medicine. I think the, the, we are at a precipice where the aggregation of all the data that we have between, uh, I mentioned earlier, between um, the imaging, the clinical, the waveform, the pathology, the genomic, and even the digital exhaust that comes from our devices, we're really at a precipice where we can personalize uh, uh, healthcare, both in its diagnostic capabilities and also, if you look at sort of the, uh, the technology, that same technology is used to personalize um, uh, treatments um, like CAR-T therapy and or uh, personalized vaccines that are aimed at a particular um, cancer, in particular designed to aim at a cancer within your genomic set. That's, I would wave a wand and advance that like nobody's business, because I think that has the greatest impact to be able to bring about what we are all looking for, which is improved quality of life, improved quality of care, um, at a significantly reduced cost, uh, obviously also less side effects, and then an improved human experience. So that to me is where I think um, I'd like to see that happen in our lifetime, or certainly if not for, our, for the generations to come, that's I think where the biggest change impact could be. And of course, AI is in the middle of that uh, data and insights is, but that's where I would go, precision health. Wow. 
I will tell you, it's amazing insights today. And and listening to you, um, I wish we could keep going, but uh, uh, we're we're we got to keep these down to a minimum number of uh, minutes so people will continue to listen to them. But you were amazing today. Thank you so much for your insights. Uh, and I'm going to steal a word that you said a little bit earlier, and that is thank you for helping us co-create a amazing podcast that people are going to want to listen to for all your work trying to improve health across our globe. Thanks, Russ. Thanks for having me. Thanks again to Chime. Uh, thank you also to all of our listeners for joining us for this episode of Chime's Leader to Leader podcast. As always, you can visit us on chimecentral.org forward slash media or Spotify to listen to this and all these amazing top healthcare leaders. Continue to innovate, transform, and create positive change to advance and improve health and care throughout all the communities you serve. For now, stay safe and God bless.